For six weeks, we have been working our way through the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. I'd invite us today as the first portion of our gospel reading to read the Beatitudes together. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Matthew continues, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. What does the world think of the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? In Monty Python's movie, The Meaning of Life, the camera pans over rows and rows of bored schoolboys who are listening to a sermon just droning on and on. After that, they're roused slightly as a priest begins to lead the boys in responsive prayer. Oh Lord, oh Lord, oh you are so big, oh you are so big, so absolutely huge, so absolutely huge. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, we can tell you. Gosh, we're all really impressed down here, I can tell you. Forgive us, O Lord, our dreadful toadying and barefaced flattery, but you're so strong and, well, just so super. You are fantastic. Next, the boys are led in a hymn. O Lord, please don't burn us, don't kill us, don't toast us, your flock. Don't put us on the barbecue or simmer us in stock. Don't braise us, don't bake us, don't boil us, and please, don't stir-fry us in a walk. (laughs) When the followers of Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene in the middle of the first century, disrupting the settled religious order, social order, and political order, They were not seen as harbingers of a new heaven and a new earth. They were largely seen by those who talked about such things as a group of dreamers filled with empty words and gestures who were not to be trusted at all, let alone followed. This was certainly the attitude the powers that be had 
against Paul and Silas. They healed a demon-possessed slave girl, which only enraged her owners, who were making a pretty penny uh, off her. That landed him in jail, where they cope with confinement, not with protests and invectives. They prayed. They sang hymns of praise from jail. They practiced daily forgiveness. When their chains were broken in an earthquake, the guard was ready to kill himself for the failure of letting them escape, but was stopped by the two freed prisoners who declined to leave. Paul and Silas in that moment were, if you will, poor in spirit, yet pure in heart. They were meek in their actions as they hungered and thirsted for God's justice and hope. And in their mourning, in their persecution, they were merciful. They made peace in every way that ran counter to the perceptions of that day. They were salt and they were light. What does the world think of us? What does the world think of Christian faith as reflected in our lives, how they see it lived out in each of us day by day? And more crucially, what does the world think of uh, of the church by the witness we provide as a body? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That phrase is the therefore right after the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes restructure the whole life of faith. We are in the right place if we are pure in heart and poor in spirit and meek and hunger and thirsting for right relationship and making peace. We are in the right place when we mourn with others and are merciful and are persecuted for God's sake. Do that. Spend a day being there, and our life is restructured. Therefore, when we are in those right places, we are salt and we are light for God. Being salt and being light, it's often not just straightforward, oh, let's go do it. It takes courage and sensitivity. It takes boldness, and it takes gentleness. Several decades ago, as schools across the country were finally being integrated, when the issue came to Conway, South Carolina, it stirred up the town, and a meeting was held one night at the local high school. The meeting was hot, and voices were raised. We're not going to let them take over our schools. They can't make us change our way of life. Nobody tells us what to do. In the midst of that, somebody looked over and noticed that the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Conway had arrived. He was the patriarch. He was the religious model for the entire community. He had baptized half the people in that room and probably officiated at weddings and funerals for the other half. Oh, Reverend Smith, they said, wouldn't you like to say something? And he responded, I'll say something. You know, it's hard being a Baptist preacher. I can go through so long in my ministry and see no concrete results. But tonight, I'm thinking that I'm the biggest failure in the whole world. The 20 years I've spent in this town are utterly futile. I've tried to preach the Christian gospel to most of the people in this room. But tonight, I can see I have failed. By this meeting and what has been said here tonight, I am in utter despair. 
And with that, he left the microphone and walked out of the building. The person in charge said, oh, well, um, okay, who else wants to say something? As one by one, sheepishly, everybody left the room except about a dozen people, none of whom were Baptist. There are times, we know these times, we feel these times, when our light doesn't shine. There are times when we let the salt we have by the power of the gospel lose its potency and be deluded by our culture. But that doesn't have to be the norm. We are children of God, gathered here together today as God's church. We are, by God, God's power and presence, salt and light. And we can change the world with that for the sake and in the power of Jesus Christ. Traveling in Leipzig three summers ago, friends of mine were caught in a massive gridlock around St. Nicholas Church, caused by the largest public gathering that former East German city had seen in generations. The cause was the funeral of St. Nicholas's beloved and incredibly brave pastor, Christian Fuhrer. Reverend Fuhrer was being celebrated as the East German dissident who led the peaceful revolution. In the 1980s, <clears throat> the Lutheran pastor determined that the wall that divided East from West was evil and that human freedom was not just a political issue, it was a theological issue as well. So he began hosting weekly prayer services for peace, at first just drawing a handful of people. But as the word spread, tens of thousands tried to get in the church and gathered around. And then in October 1989, the Monday night prayer service culminated in a standoff between this peaceful resistance and the powerful communist government. The pastor admonished the flock to be nonviolent. Put down your rocks, he preached. So the demonstrators carried candles instead. When the Communist Ministry for State Security arranged to occupy most of the 500 seats in the church for the prayer service, 70,000 gathered outside, peaceful citizens gathering in the streets. Meanwhile, heavily armed security officials waited for instructions from Moscow and Berlin. When could they subdue the demonstrators? They were ready to exercise their power and their control. But the order never came, and the police gave up, and the security chief just watched as the crowd whose freedom march had begun in that church, the crowd who had heard the prophetic witness of a pastor emerging from decades of oppression saying, let us move forward in God's peace, the crowd so enormous that it stirred fear in the incredibly powerful chief of security with his tanks and tear gas and guns, in that potentially explosive moment, the security chief, ready to unleash his power, was found saying, we planned for everything. We prepared for everything, everything, except candles and prayer. The Berlin Wall came down less than a month later, peace, mercy, single-hearted, single-minded faith, justice, meekness. 
Those church-based demonstrators expressed a power and a strength no one, certainly not those sitting on the earthly thrones of power, ever saw coming. A few years ago, contemporary novelist Mary Gordon published Reading Jesus, a writer's encounter with the Gospels. One reviewer said, it's a book of questions for, quibbles with, and tributes to the sometimes inscrutable protagonist of the Gospels. Mary Gordon realized that despite a Roman Catholic upbringing, she had never read the four Gospels front to back. The results, when she finally did it, she found were refreshing and arresting, perhaps no place more than her comment when she read the Beatitudes. Pausing and letting these blessings just roll over her and seep into her, she realizes that they're calling out to her to say, yes, for this I will try to change my life. And more, without this, I do not know who I am. I hear that as her saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's time to do something about that. Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa was interviewed about a decade ago when the questions turned to his family. And a reporter asked, your oldest child and only son Trevor became embroiled in controversy in 1989 when he made a bomb threat at the airport in South Africa. Yeah, and went to jail, Tutu responded. And was granted amnesty, the reporter continued. What's he up to now? Tudu said, he was a very gifted person, but you see a little how God must feel about us because he has really undermined his own life by his abuse of alcohol. When he's not under the influence, he's incredibly wonderful. He really is. And it makes me weep to see how he then is most intent on destroying himself. How do you make peace with that, the reporter asked. As a preacher who's just written a book asking us to be optimistic. No, not optimistic, Tudu said. Not optimistic, hopeful. Optimism is a much lighter thing. Hope is being able to see there is light despite all the darkness. You see it wonderfully when you fly and the sky is overcast. Sometimes you forget that just below the cloud cover, The sun is shining. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Being salt and light sometimes means being open to the sun shining just beyond the clouds and trusting that and acting in that. And sometimes it means being willing to offer salt to this world that is on a dangerous diet of fear and self-indulgence. On August 28, 1963, David Broder was a 33-year-old reporter for the Washington Star newspaper in a city that day gripped in fear. It's hard to imagine now, Broder wrote later, but there's a lot of tension that day in white establishment Washington about the gathering of African Americans and their supporters for Martin Luther King's rally on the Washington Mall that day, which of course culminated in his I Have a Dream speech. What is sometimes forgotten, Broder says, what in the glow of King's uplifting words that this was a protest rally, and protests do at times get out of hand. 
As their numbers increased, though, it became clearer and clearer that the mood of that day would be fellowship. The spirit of that day would be unity. Most of the people said they'd heard plans of the rally in their temple or in their church and simply decided they wanted to join in. Even before a word was spoken, let alone the eloquent words that have echoed down through history, it became absolutely evident from the people themselves that achieving civil rights in this country would be the way to heal, not damage. Broder concluded, I went back to the store offices wondering what it was that we had been so afraid of. And I've remembered this many times since when people have tried to teach us to fear things. Salt, light from God, They have a way of working just that way. From John Winthrop, anchored off the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630, to John Kennedy, 11 days before he became president, to Ronald Reagan in a lifetime worth of speeches, including notably his farewell address in 1989, many in public life have tried to define this salt and light moment specifically in reference to the city on the hill where the light cannot be hid. They've taken these words and tied them to spiritual vision of public life, including the care of the sick and needy. That was Winthrop. Or to inclusiveness and justice from John Kennedy. To harmony, peace, and the hospitality of welcome to those seeking to come to these shores was what Ronald Reagan talked about in his farewell address. They all three catch a slice of the truth, even as the true import of Jesus' words casts a much wider net than any of them. Words from Jesus that catch us up in the large body of God's hope. You are in the right place. When you're at the end of your rope and you can't rely on yourself anymore, but you have to rely on God. And you're in the right place when you are meek against all odds, or when you're mourning, or when you're merciful. You're in the right place when you are with others who are hungering and thirsting for God to set things right. You're in the right place when those around you share your yearning to focus on faith and trust in God and make peace even when you experience persecution because of it. You do that. We live like this. Together, we experience God in those places and we will be salt and we will light the darkness. On this Sunday when we've had our annual meeting and we ordain and install elders for service in this congregation, it causes me to think in light of this text, we are called to be that city on a hill. We are called to live these beatitudes, which I think means that we are together to live as if our life has been restructured by God, in God's image, by God's presence, and for God's purposes. And if our life has been restructured, then we've got to get busy living our life by that light so that every time one is welcomed or a prayer is offered 
or a meal is served, or forgiveness, painful as that can be, is spoken, or hands of support and aid are held open and we stretch to include more, or voices are raised to stop the hate and counter the fear. When we do all that as a congregation, others will see something about the way this congregation lives its life. And that will move them to join us in saying, yes, yes, for this, I will try to change my life. Without this, I would not know who I am. Amen.